progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. It is great to see you here on this Tuesday, February 15, 2022. And we have a lot to talk about. This is so much, so much to talk about today, actually. Hey, Donna, welcome. Welcome to the party that is DPP. Um, okay, so Torah portion this week is Ki Tisa. Major drama this week with the golden calf, which we have not yet gotten into. Yesterday was our first session of the week, and we did the first reading, which seemed innocent enough. We talked about um, we talked about the half shekel donation, the census that was to be done, the kiar wash basin, the anointing oil, the incense blend that was to be used for the temple for, for the Mishkan services. Spoke about all these wonderful things and all seemed innocent enough, right? There was no, there's no signs of the drama that will, uh, will unfold shortly. But today we get to the drama. So let's jump right in. This is Ki Tisa. We are up to the second reading, which is really for Monday, but these were long readings. So I don't know that we're going to get, I don't, I don't know that we're going to catch up to reading three today. Goal will be just to cover this and cover this well. Exodus Chapter 31. And here the Torah kind of goes back in time. It goes back in time to Sinai. We've been talking about the Mishkan, God's communication vis-a-vis the Mishkan, the tabernacle. Now the Torah tells us something that will become very important very soon. When he, when God had finished speaking with him, with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses, God gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony. Stone tablets, written with the finger of God. This is how the Torah describes to us the nature of the tablets, which we will ultimately know as the first set of tablets for um, some obvious reasons, as they will become very apparent. The first set of tablets were given from God to Moses on Mount Sinai, made out of stone, created and engraved by God. It was a completely divine uh, endeavor. That's how the reading begins. Well, here's the rest of the story. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. The people saw that Moses was late. That's a very important word, late, in coming down from the mountain. The people gathered against Aaron. This was not a happy gathering. This was an against Aaron gathering a uh, contentious gathering. And they said to Aaron, the people did, people said to Aaron, come on. I feel like saying that in some sort of, I don't know, accent. Come on, make us gods that will go before us. Because this man, Moses, who, who brought us from the land, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. The people have a very specific, at least it starts with a very specific agenda. Moses is gone. He came out of nowhere. He took us out of Egypt. He split the sea. He delivered the Torah to us at Sinai or was, you know, kind of standing up there on the mountain. He went up the mountain. I'll see in 40 days. Vanished. He's gone. Now we need something else. We need someone else. We need some sort of leadership. There's a void and the people are clamoring for leadership. But if you notice, what are they asking for? Make us gods. Make us gods, lowercase g. Is it that they're questioning God Almighty? Is it that they want a leader who is like a God? Is it that they're stuck in Egyptian kind of Egyptian mindsets, the old ways of thinking that people and things are also uh, also have divine power and 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 um, and deification are worthy of deification? Is that what's going on? So a lot of different ideas, a lot of different suggestions amongst the commentaries. But one thing's clear: bad news is brewing. Really bad news is brewing. I want to go back to that word, voshesh. Ki voshesh Moshe, Moses was late. Moses was late in coming down the mountain. What happened? Classically, and we've, I've spoken about this many, many times. You may have heard me say this on multiple occasions. You may know this otherwise. Moses told the people when he first went up the mountain. Well, they got, you know, the Ten Commandments when God spoke to them. Okay, that was the revelation at Sinai experience. The, day, the next day, Moses tells the people, I'm going up the mountain. 
I'll see you in 40 days. This was the day after the revelation at Sinai, just to be very clear here. Revelation at Sinai happened on a Shabbat, on a Saturday. Sunday, Moses tells the people, guys and gals, I'm off. You see that mountain, Sinai? I'm going back up there. I'll be back in 40 days. The people began counting that, Sunday, that day, Sunday, day one, Monday, day two, Wednesday, day three. They counted until they got to 40. On day 40, Moses did not show up. They show up. They present themselves against Aaron and they say, Aaron, you got to do something. Moses is gone. What went wrong? What went wrong is that they started counting on that Sunday as day one. That's not day one. Day one is not counted because Moses went up, you know, Sunday early, uh, you know, mid-morning or early afternoon. That's not day one because if, as we all know, the Jewish day starts at night, correct? So day one, the first 24 hours on the mountain would start only Sunday night to Monday night, which means that Monday is day one. You with me on this? Sunday can't be day one. He didn't leave Saturday night up the mountain. He didn't head up the mountain Saturday night. So Sunday can't be day one. So Monday's day one, they were one day off. And because of that, because of that, all this, all this craziness, all this Mishagas happened. What's the moral of the story? Right? The moral of the story is we could have, we could have avoided all of this had there been cell phones. Imagine the people text Moses, where are you? They WhatsApp him. Hey, they, they, they DM him. Moses, what's up? We're waiting. It's 40 days. He'll be like, hey, yo, bro, it's 39 days. You're counting wrong. Done. Crisis averted. But what are you going to do? It is what it is before, before technology, BT, and that's it. All right. So basically, they, they perceive Moses is not coming back. They think he's gone. They panic. They, they gang up against Aaron and say, Aaron, you got to do something. We need, we need new gods, new leaders, whatever. Make it happen. Before we continue this story, I must tell you another wrinkle to this story. Talmud Medjur says that Satan, you know, Satan, Satan, yeah, the nefarious force in, uh, in existence, that nefarious force that's also employed by God, by the way, not against God, but God employs it to make things a little complicated for us, very complicated sometimes. Satan showed the people an image in the, uh, in the heavens, when they looked up, they saw this image. They saw this image in the heavens of the casket of Moses. They saw, they, they saw a vision of what appeared to be almost the funeral, the heavenly funeral procession of Moses. So they thought, he's a goner. He, he's dead. You know, who, who goes up in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights without any food? We know this from elsewhere that Moses didn't, didn't have any food or drink for 40 days. They thought, that's it, he's gone, he's finished. They thought they saw a vision of it. Oh. All right, so they went. I'm not trying to excuse it as much as I'm trying to contextualize the story. So this is what happened. Ray, hey, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you. Awesome. Glad you're, glad you're here. Um, yeah, no, perfect. Take a look. One second. Um, you know what? Rashi says something a little bit different. Rashi says like this. On the 16th of Thomas, we're not going to go through the dates. It's just going to be confusing. But on whatever date it was that they thought was day 40, Satan came and brought confusion into the world and showed a semblance of darkness. Look at that. Not necessarily a coffin, but he made it dark, even pitch darkness and confusion as if indicating that Moses had surely died and therefore confusion had come upon the world. In other words, it became very dark and maybe stormy. I don't know if stormy, I'm adding those words, but, but like chaotic. And that planted the seed in their heads that, oh no, the worst has happened. God forbid, Moses is gone. We're alone. And they started panicking. Oh, I, well, okay. So I did get it right over here. Satan showed them something resembling Moses being carried in the air high above the sky. All right. Yes, a coffin. Not a coffin. Some sort of, uh, some sort of um, ascent to heaven. In other words, that indicating that he passed away. 
Let's toggle Rashi off and let's continue. So they come to Aaron and they're asking for help. And they have, it's not an open-ended question, they seem to have an agenda, they want someone to represent. Verse number two, the drama continues. Aaron said to them, remove the golden earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them, those earrings, to me. One thing that we learn from here is that apparently everyone had jewelry, right? Earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, okay? Sounds like everyone's got jewelry. And bring, they, he said to the men, he said to the, yeah, he says to the men who were like, you know, panicking, get the jewelry. Now, we understand that the motive of Aaron was that the women and children would not be willing to participate in such, a, such an egregious act of, you know, appointing another leader unilaterally without the input of God. That's what they wanted. They wanted to go to Aaron, appoint another leader, whatever. We, Moses is gone. We need, it, we need to take action. It's very good to take initiative. It's really good. It's great. But you know what? God's also running the show. We got to remember that as well. When I say also, I don't mean also. Right? God's running the show. So you, you, get, you have a complaint. You need something tweaked. You need extra help. You need some leadership. Great. First step is go to God. Right? Petition there. They go to Aaron. Aaron's trying to push them off. He's trying to delay them until Moses comes down. He knows that if he tells them, oh, wait till tomorrow, he'll be back, the people are just going to run him over. Instead, he says... Oh, sure. He's like going along with him. Sure, yes. Grab some gold from your, from your wives and your children. He knows it's not going to happen. So what, what happened? Well, they took their own jewelry. The men did. And all the people, that means the men, stripped themselves of the golden earrings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. And thus, they brought their own jewelry. They brought their own jewelry. They brought their own gold to Aaron. Aaron took them from their hands fashioned it with an engraving tool, interesting, and made it into a molten calf, upon which they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who have brought you up from the land of Egypt. This golden calf that we just made right now out of our jewelry is the god that took us out of Egypt months ago. Go figure. Go actually figure how that makes any sense. You have to understand, it was seven weeks between the Exodus and Sinai and another 40 days. So what's 50 days plus, 30, plus 40 days and 90 days? 90 days is how, many, is how many months? Three months. Three months prior, they had been uh, freed from Egypt amidst plague and fanfare. And now, three months later, they just made a golden calf and they say, this is, These are your gods who took you out of Egypt. Were they mashuga? Were they crazy? How could... Doesn't even make sense. Doesn't make sense. They just made it now and they think that it's the God who took you out of Egypt? Obviously, they're not crazy crazy. I mean, they're a little crazy, but not that crazy to think that this thing that they just made existed also three months ago. What they mean, of course, it goes without saying, I think, is that they were saying that this is a symbol of the divine. They were basically creating an idol, right? Creating an idol to have a physical incarnation of the divine spirit. God is invisible. God is formless. God is shapeless. God is touchless, right? God is wireless. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you wrap your head around God, so to speak? You need some sort of physical representation. They had that in Moses. Moses is gone. They needed another physical embodiment. They created a golden calf. This is God. This is God. This is representing God who took us out of Egypt. You with me on this? Still idolatry, by the way. Not saying it's not still idolatry. Idolatry is idolatry. Idolatry is making that image of God. Don't make an image. Stop it. Don't make that image. No, no, no. It's representative of... No, don't. It's, pro, it's pro, problematic. Especially if you're trying to depict God as a golden calf. Just saying, right? Maybe, you know, I don't know, something a little bit more abstract. But like, golden calf? This is God? Okay. To each his own, but like this was clearly, I mean, I don't really mean that, but this was, this was like the worst of the worst. It's in like violation of multiple commandments of the Ten Commandments. Now, when Aaron saw this, you would think he would just absolutely protest and thunder and shout and scream and, and rail against the people. This is insane. Right. This got out of hand. You would think. Right. His nephew did that. Miriam's son. 
Miriam's son did this. Railed against the people. You know what they did to him? They murdered him. Yeah. They killed him. Okay. They assassinated him. Because he was trying to block this whole, this whole movement, this whole idolatrous movement. There was fever going on. You ever see people whipped up into a frenzy, like a mob, like a kind of mob frenzy? This is what's going on over here. Mob frenzy kills Miriam's son, who's trying to block this from happening. Aaron's sister, Moses, three siblings, right? Moses, Aaron, Miriam. Her son is standing up for what's right. Boom, they kill him. Well, maybe Aaron saw that and said, let me take a different tactic. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it. And again, you would think he would say, well, you guys are crazy. You guys are wrong. This is terrible. He builds an altar in front of this golden calf. He seems to be aiding and abetting. Are you with me on that? Aiding and abetting idolatry. And Aaron proclaimed and said, and here we get an insight into his thinking at this point. He said, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. He's basically again stalling for time. Take the earrings from your, from your wives and children, stalling for time. Well, that didn't work. Now he's saying, all right, you have a golden calf. He's probably panicking. and Not probably, he's panicking. He's like, what is going on? What, what do I do here now? I can't say, I can't stop them because they're going to kill me. So let me just push them off till tomorrow and say, tomorrow, guys, it's been a long day. All this golden calf making. Whew, I'm, I'm famished. Got some mana in the fridge. Let's pull it out and do a big mana barbecue. Tomorrow will be the festival and we'll just do it then. And he's thinking, okay, by tomorrow, Moses will come back. This will all be a big mistake. We'll all laugh at it. We'll, uh, hopefully, we can all laugh about this at some point and, uh, you know, just wipe our hands of it. Well, didn't work out as planned. What Aaron didn't count on in both of his attempts to filibuster, for lack of better, uh, for lack of better term, is the alacrity of the people how excited they were to create this idol. They were super excited. And so what they did, verse 6, on the next day they arose early. Yeah, yeah. They got up early in the morning. Unbelievable. Every day in the desert. I'm making this up, but let's, let's run with it. Every day. There's, eh, what do you do in the desert? Eh, sleep in. Take it easy. The one day. I, I don't know if that's actually true. I'm just saying they woke up early. It sounds like specifically earlier than usual on that day. And what they do, even before he was there. It doesn't imply that Aaron was involved. He was like, okay, we got an appointment tomorrow at noon. By that time, Moses will be back. Meanwhile, they get up early the next day and they offered up burnt offerings and brought peace offerings in front of this idol on the altar in front of the golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And they got up to make merry. Ho, ho, make merry. Litzachek. Are you kidding me? To make merry. What do you think make merry means? Right? Eat, first of all, time out. You know the, the expression, eat, drink, and be merry? Heyo, right here. Eat, drink, and make merry. That's literally a biblical verse. The problem is, and this is what the English doesn't convey, make merry is not as innocent as it sounds. Make Litzachek? Let's talk about the three cardinal sins. Litzachek. Murder. Immorality, adultery, immorality, and of course, idol worship. Litzachek is the triple threat. Um, yeah, Litzachek is not a good thing. This is not, the, oh, they were happy. They were having such a good time. Nope. Rabbi, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. So, uh, for those three cardinal sins, uh, what could the people that committed them do to avoid? Uh, what, what, what could have, what could or did maybe happen to them? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. The, the ones that were directly involved in these activities, yes. they ended up getting uh, punished by death. People died. It's everyone else that ultimately got forgiven. That, that, yeah, that ultimately got a second chance. The ones that were watching and maybe clapping and cheering and dancing also, but the ones that actually were directly involved, hands-on in this stuff, they didn't make it out. I mean, we're not up to there yet, but in the, as the story unfolds. Yeah. Hold on one second, one second. Ray, hold on one second. Ray, go continue. There's, not, there's nothing that those people did, and there's nothing that they could do to change the decree. Nothing. I'm asking. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. The ones that were directly involved end up getting the ultimate punishment for this crime. 
It's pretty bad stuff. I have Rashi pulled up here. It's pretty, uh, pretty heavy stuff. Yes, it is. Yeah. Look, and, and Donna, just give me one second. Let me just read this. To make merry, Rashi says, in this word, there's also a connotation of sexual immorality. Tzachik is a biblical word that's used in reference to, uh, to intimacy. And bloodshed, murder. As it says, let the boys get up now and play before us. And Chor was slain. Chor was the, the son of, uh, of Miriam, Moses and Aaron's nephew. So, as I mentioned before, um, so what's the point? The point is, they had all three sins. Idolatry, immorality, and murder, bloodshed. Uh, what could they do? Yeah, yeah, not much. I mean, even when, God forbid, if a person is, is faced, is threatened by pain of death, and says, you have to commit one of these three sins, or else you, you still can't violate these sins. You still can't. For everything else you violate, but not for these three. These are really bad. Donna, jump in. No, I think that answered my question. I was wondering what the murder was. So there was one murder? Yeah, at least one. I mean, one that's recorded. I don't know why I would say at least one. It seems like one that's, that's being mentioned here. Yeah. Pretty bad stuff. Pretty bad stuff. Um, okay, now the scene cuts. Meanwhile, back on top of the mountain, the Lord said to Moses, can you imagine how quiet it is up there? God speaking to Moses, you know, maybe having a few laughs, <laughs> right? You know, that sort of thing. And now God's like, okay, go descend. Lech raid, go down. For your people that you have brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. Look at this. Talk about distancing. <laughs> your people that you brought up from Egypt, you, you can imagine that Moses would have said, my people, I brought them out of Egypt. It's like, you told me, like, I, I was a shepherd minding my own business, right? You were the one that, that, that was on my case for seven days at the burning bush. My people? I took them out of Egypt? What? Can I make a plague? What are you talking? So the way the commentators understand this is that this is a loaded reference. It's a reference to the people called the... Erev Rav. Who, are the, who were the Erev Rav? They were, it sometimes is translated in English as the mixed multitude. I, I don't even, it's such a literal translation, it, it, it belies all meaning. But the, the Erev Rav essentially were Egyptians that at the time of the Exodus said, all right, we're switching allegiance, let's join the bandwagon. And Moses made the call to accept them. And Moses thought, oh, this is great. This is the ultimate, you know, conversion, so to speak. It's the ultimate flip. Egyptians joining the Jewish people. Whoa, that's amazing. Well, they may or may not have been 100% sincere. And your people that you have brought out from the land of Egypt, according to the commentaries, is a loaded reference specifically to the heir of Rav that Moses made the final decision on to take them. Right, as Rashi says, it does not say the people have acted corruptly, but your people. Rashi says, those are the mixed multitude. Again, what is that? Heir of Rav, whom you accepted on your own initiative and whom you converted without consulting me, God says to Moses. You didn't ask me if it was a good idea. You went and said, oh, this is great. We got more people. Let's add to the party. You said it is good that converts cleave to the Shekhinah. Well, at the end, all has been uh, uh, seen. They've acted corruptly and have corrupted others as well. So it, it seems, and you know, I... Uh, so many thoughts on this. So many thoughts. Um, what, what this Rashi is doing, based on our sages is, I mean, let's just be very frank here, is pinning the blame of the golden calf on the newcomers. Are you with me? It's at least partial, partially pinning the blame on the newcomers. I could see how somebody would say, oh, come on, just, just own it, right? Just own it. Like, really, like, you have to blame, like, oh, we would have been perfect if not for those rascally Erevravs that, uh, you know, that, that, that came along. Listen. I could see somebody saying, you just own it. 
Yeah, y'all messed up. You blame the Egyptians now? Like, you're still finding a scapegoat for this? Okay, nonetheless, that's what our sages say. And, and, and the reality is, that's what it's indicated in the verses. The verse says, your people that you have brought up have acted corruptly. Why your people? They were God's people. No, it refers to Moses' people, i.e. the additional ones that he took on. Okay, Donna, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just, um, I'm just reading Rashi. It made me think, because Rashi's, you know, so Rashi is saying that Moses made it too easy for conversion. So maybe that's also a reason that we... Right, right, yeah. Difficult, you know, challenging. In it's definitely, definitely not easy today. It's definitely not right. easy today, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah. And again, is it is it try is it a, a an attempt to shirk responsibility? I could see somebody pushing back against this, but it's from the sages. It's the classic understanding, and it has a hook in the verse. Your people, you brought up. Why you, you, your? Okay, that's it. That's uh, that's the indication. All right, let's continue verse eight. By the way, even if it was started initiated by the heir of Rav, it still gained traction amongst the people. If the people would have said, "What are you talking about?" We're going to make a, an idol now? You were you not there at Sinai? Like, what are you saying? If the people would have rejected it, it wouldn't have gone off the ground. So we can't totally blame the heir of Ram. What we could say is that maybe some of those Egyptian, the, well, I, I, don't know, it's not, I don't know if it's fair to even call them Egyptians, I mean, if they converted. I, I don't know the status. I'm just saying some of the heir of Rav seems like they were the, the initiators said, hey, let's, let's make this thing. We've done this before or whatever. This is part of our culture and tradition for you know, hundreds of years, etc. part of the family. And I could see how that becomes float as an idea, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't gain any measure of critical mass, it's just going to get shut down by the people. So the fact that it got off the ground indicates that there was enough buy-in, and thus, either way, there's still culpability on the side of the, of the Jewish people. Let's continue. Rabbi, so yeah. why did Moses bring these additional people? He thought it would be great. More the ulti ultimate transformation. The the, well, number one, the more the merrier, yeah. Number two, it's the ultimate transformation. Imagine taking the Egyptian energy and converting it to a, to, a, to a Jewish energy. In other words, it's like the ultimate, like Egypt was considered to be the most corrupted place. Imagine if Egyptians who were from that place of, of, of moral corruption could be flipped for, you know, service of God from idolatry to, to, uh, to monotheism. That would be like the ultimate transformation. Okay. When it works and when it doesn't, it, it kind of blows up, right? It kind of blew up. All right, let's continue. This is all God. So we're still in the middle of God's FYI to Moses, right? That was verse 7. God says to Moses, they were on the mountain, right? Shooting the breeze, studying Torah together, all that good stuff. And God says to Moses, yeah, you might want to go down. It's, get, it's getting a little crazy. Verse 8, they have quickly turned away from the path that I have commanded them. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Quickly, yeah, 40 days. They've gone off the rails. They've made themselves, this is the big reveal. Moses has no idea what's going on on the ground. Moses has no clue. God says they have made themselves a molten calf. Egel masecha, molten calf. You know what molten means? Molten, not molson. That's a Canadian beer. Molten, right? What is molten? Molten. Molten means that it's, it's heat, yeah, melted. It's, it's, it's heated up and almost poured into like a mold type thing. Yeah, it's a molten calf. Hot, hot gold. And they have prostrated themselves before they bow down in front of it. And they've slaughtered sacrifices to it. God is explaining to Moses how many layers of violation. They made an idol. They bowed down to an idol. They offered sacrifices to the idol. Three things. And to boot, they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who have brought you up from the land of Egypt. They proclaimed it verbally as a deity. They made it. They bowed down to it. They sacrificed to it. And they called it God. God continues to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked people. These guys are so stubborn. They don't get it. I told them, I am your God. Do not have any other gods. Don't worship. Don't bow down. Nothing. They're not listening. Stiff-necked. 
obstinate. Now God says to Moses, leave me alone. I'm just humming the, uh, whistling the uh, soap opera um, music. Do, 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 do. I forget which one that was. Was it uh, Young and the Restless? Now leave me alone and my anger will be kindled against them so that I will annihilate them and I will make you into a great nation. God says, don't even talk to me, Moses. Let me be and I will destroy them and start over again with you. You think, God, you think Moses is going to listen to God? <laughs> Not happening. Not a chance. Not a chance. God says, leave me alone. I'm going to get rid of them. All right, next scene. Moses jumps in. Verse 11. Mo, this is, I mean, chutzpah, right? After God says, don't talk to me, Moses is like, uh, hello, we got to talk. He's like, I'm not taking no for an answer. We got to talk. This is... You know, we talk a lot in various classes about acceptance of God. You know, being accepting of God. You know, God knows and God is all, you know, knowing. Accept God's will. And then you have this, where God expresses his will, tells Moses he ain't going to change it. Don't even bother. Don't even talk to me. Right? Slams the door. And Moses comes in and is like, we're going to talk. We got some business to talk about. Talk about chutzpah. And what about acceptance? And I, I try to bring this out whenever these questions come up, but it came up last week in the, the JLI class. It's like, how do we balance our belief that everything is guided by God with the understanding that sometimes we have to take initiative and change things? Do I accept or do I push for change? And the two seem mutually exclusive, but they don't have to be. What Moses demonstrates in this story is he believes in God. Absolutely. If he didn't believe in God, he wouldn't knock at the door. He would say, oh, sure. Sure, they're, sure you're going to get rid of them. Whatever. If he didn't believe in God, he wouldn't be on the top of the mountain. He believes in God. He believes that God has a plan. And he also believes that God wants us to push for things. Why? Because that's what God wants. God wants a real relationship. God doesn't want everything top down. 1.0. God wants us involved. And Moses knows this. Now, if the conclusion is, whatever it is, will he accept it? Sure. He might disagree with it, but at the end of the day, God's will is God's will. But as long as he can, he's going to push for change. I don't, I don't know that I'm articulating clearly enough, but like, we get ourselves, we, we mess ourselves up inside when we're fighting reality. We don't accept it. But accepting it doesn't mean accepting it. There's three levels. There's fighting it, pretending that it's not the way it is. That's just driving ourselves crazy. Like holding on to like what we wanted and then just be, and just becoming angry that it's not like that. That's not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything about it. I'm just holding on to a fantasy and not accepting reality, putting myself in limbo. And then who's, who, who gains from this? No one, not me, for sure not me. Second level is acceptance, blind acceptance. This is God's will. I'm just going to sit here and accept it. That's also not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is to say, this is God's will. This is what he wants, but maybe he wants me now to do something about it, to change it. Right? God gives us wheat. And he wants us to make it into bread. That's it. That's the way it works. God gives us tools. He wants to turn it into medicine. Right? When I say tools, whatever, herbs, whatever medicine is made from. God wants us, right, to find the healing properties and make it. You say, God, listen, if God brings an illness, God forbid, right? God brings an illness, who are we to intervene? You kidding me? Who would say such a thing? God brought the illness? Yeah, and we're supposed to intervene. It's exactly what God wants. Acceptance doesn't mean passi uh, passivity. I'm, I shut down. I'm not doing anything. Acceptance means I know that this is what I know. This is God's will right now, and I also know that I, ever, I play a role in this. Why else am I here? Moses knows he's on the mountain. He loves the Jewish people. God is bringing him inside His plan. Why? To jump in and save the day. So He does. That's it. And wh why doesn't God just do it? Because then it's not coming from us. Tshuva has to come from us. 
right? The rebuilding the relationship has to come from the side of the one of the people, not the one who got hurt. That's how, that's how it's supposed to work. Who's supposed to say sorry? The one who got hurt? That doesn't make sense. I'm not saying God gets hurt in the, in, the, in the way we get hurt. I'm just trying to frame it a little bit. Okay, back inside. Hope this made sense. Yeah, Donna. So, why would, why did, why, like the scenario, right? Why would God stay with Moses instead of wanting someone else at that point? And then how would he make Moses into a great people at that point? Okay, Moses, according to what God is saying right now, he says, I'm going to get rid of the people. They're all they're terrible. I can't believe they did this. They were, they're all guilty. Get rid of them all, God forbid. And then Moses was on the mountain, so he bears no responsibility. He wasn't even on the ground. He's the only guy that wasn't at all even in the vicinity. Right? He was on a completely different plane of reality. Um, so Moses can't be held culpable at this point. For this, uh, for this action. So Moses would be scot-free. And what does it mean to rebuild for Moses? I don't know. We have to find him a wife. And then, I mean, assuming his wife was to... Whatever, we have to figure this out. Or maybe only the men would be killed anyway, and so his wife would survive. I don't know. We're, we're just playing out the scenario. And then he would have, he would have kids or whatever, and, and, and that's it. He would rebuild from him. That was the plan. Moses was... Uh, he was 80, but he was a young 80. A very spry 80. He was, uh, he was good. He was a good 80. Like solid, you know, doing his thing 80. All right, back inside. Back inside. The drama continues. So God says, that's it. I'm done. This is my plan. Leave me alone. Well, verse 11. Not so fast. Moses pleaded before the Lord his God and said, his God, his God, personal relationship. And said to God, why, O Lord, should your anger be kindled against your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt with great power and with a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he plays on a very interesting angle, psychological angle? He says, why should the Egyptians say he brought them, God brought them out, God brought the Jewish people out with evil intent to kill them in the mountains and to annihilate them upon the face, from upon the face of the earth? Imagine, Moses says, if you execute no pun intended, or pun intended, if you execute your plan that you're sharing with me to destroy, God forbid, the Jewish people, what are the Egyptians going to say? Egyptians are going to say, look, he took them out of here just to kill them there. Well, they never meant anything to God. God, it was never really a miracle. It was just a setup to kill them, to destroy them. The whole Exodus movie, the whole, uh, the rights to the script go out the window. You call this a happy ending. It's a terrible ending. What kind of story is this? Who's going to share? Who's going to air it? Right? How's this ever going to get on Netflix? Not going to happen. Right? Who's going to, who's going to play the role if it ends in this tragedy? It's like this great possibility and then tragedy. The end. What kind of story is that? What are the Egyptians going to say? Rather, Moses says to God, Moses says to God, retreat from the heat of your anger. Shuv mecharon apecha, go back. Shuv, like tshuva, shuv, return, go back, retreat, make a 180 from the heat of your anger and reconsider the evil intended for your people. I want you to think about it again. Reconsider the evil plan that you have for the people. And then he, so first thing he does is he evokes the Egyptians. Very ironic evocation, if that's the right way to pronounce it. Then he evokes the patriarchs, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your very self and to whom you said, I will multiply your seed like the stars of the heavens and all this land which I said I would give to your seed, they shall keep it as their possession forever. Right? Remember the patriarchs, remember the promise, you cannot destroy your people before they inherit the land. What are Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob and Israel going to say about this. So it worked. Verse 14, the Lord then reconsidered the evil he had said he would do to his people. God reconsidered. God says, you know what? Retract. I take it back. Now, obviously, maybe not obviously, but I'll say obviously, we need to understand this in a deeper level because it's not that God literally regretted or reconsidered. God hadn't thought about this. Egypt and the patriarchs. God's like, you know what, Moses? You make a solid point. You know, you make, I wasn't thinking this. You make a solid point. Maybe I won't 
destroy them. It's not like that level of reconsideration that we would have where it's, uh, it's born of just lack of information or lack of thinking things through. This is where God is waiting for the human pushback to then modify the plan. But the plan is to modify the plan when pushed. That is part of the plan. It's not like there's a new plan here. That's all God's plan. Now, let's continue verse 15. Now, Moses turned and went down the mountain. So God has said, there's already a reconsideration. Destroy all the people and start again from you. Okay, that's being reconsidered. In the meantime now, as God is kind of reconsidering, Moses needs to talk to the people. So Moses turned and went down from the mountain, bearing the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Interesting. Remember those two tablets that we started the reading with? Well, now he's got them in his hand. Tablets inscribed from both their sides. Let me explain. Imagine a tablet. Stone tablet. And the letters are not just engraved an inch or two inches. They're engraved all the way through. You look at the letter Aleph and you see the shape of the Aleph and it's a hole all the way through. You can see daylight on the other side. And our sages say it was inscribed on both sides. What that means is that when you flipped it around, you could read it. Even though the letters should be backwards, right? If you make an you know, Anochi, Aleph Nun Chaf Yod, I, I am the Lord your God, right? I, the first word of the Ten Commandments. If you engrave that all the way through and, you, and then you look at it from the back of the stone, it's going to be, the letters will be reversed. Miracle was, you could read it both ways. Both letters went all the way through and you could read it both ways. That's kind of cool. I'm just gonna, not, not going to lie. That is a, a kind of a cool thing. So Moses went down, went, turned and went down the mountain, bearing the two tablets of the testimony and tablets inscribed from both their sides. On one side and on the other side, they were inscribed. Now, the Torah tells us, the tablets were God's work and the inscription was God's inscription. So God carved the tablets and inscribed the tablets, engraved on the tablets. Rabbi. Yes. Isn't it true that the printing, you could read it from both sides? Yes. Yes. That's quite unusual. Yes, and it went all the way through, and they could still read it on both sides, which is crazy. doesn't make any sense. It should be backwards, right? I have here a shot glass. This is the IJA shot glass. It has some tzedakah money in it. It says, give Torah learning a shot, right? Maybe you could see this. Maybe you can't. I don't know. Can you see the letters? Give Torah learning a shot. But if you rotate it and read it from the back, yeah, doesn't, doesn't exactly look like that. It's backwards. Because it's reverse. But the luchos, the tablets, ah, from the back, it looked the same. Miracle. All right, back inside, back inside. So when Joshua heard the voice of the people and their shouting, he said to Moses, there's a voice of battle in the camp. So Moses, Joshua was waiting somewhere near the mountain, like, you know, maybe a little bit up the mountain. And Moses comes down with the tablets. And Joshua's like, I don't know what's going on. I haven't been around the camp, but these guys are making a lot of noise. Sounds like there's a, there's a war. Sounds like a fight broke out. Sounds like a brawl. Sounds like, I don't know, maybe we should call it a uh, Super Bowl's um, celebration party. This thing is like, it's getting noisy over there. But Moses said, no, it's neither a voice shouting victory nor a voice shouting defeat. It's a voice of blasphemy. I hear. A voice of blasphemy. A voice of idolatry. A voice of sin. Again, Joshua, what, all 40 days, he was waiting for Moses. He wasn't like going home and hanging out with the people. He was like on the mountain. Not on top of the mountain, but somewhere on the mountain. Moses comes down. They embrace. Joshua's like, I don't know what's going on, but there's a, it's, get, it's getting crazy over there. Sounds like some sort of battle. No, it's not a victory. It's not a defeat. It's blasphemy. Now came to pass that when he drew Moses, when Moses drew closer to the camp, and he saw with his own eyes the calf and the dances, they were dancing the horror, 
that Moses' anger was kindled, and he flung the tablets from his hands, shattering them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf that they had made. (coughs) This is the shattering of the tablets, by the way. Verse 19. Then he took the calf that they had made, the, the, the golden calf. He burned it in fire, ground it into fine powder, scattered it upon the surface of the water, and gave it to the children of Israel to drink. And that was a drink that would determine who was guilty. If, you, if one was guilty, they would die a horrible death, having, have, drink, having uh, consumed this um, golden calf powder mixture. Talk about a non, uh, an anti-energy drink. This could do the exact opposite, right? This is not your uh, protein powder shake. This is your golden calf shake. And someone who was guilty for direct worship of that golden calf was not going to survive. Not going to survive that tasting. All right, back inside, back inside. Let's see what we got here. Verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, now he's about to confront his own brother, his big brother, three years older than him. What did this people do to you that you brought such grave sin upon them? How, how could you be part of this and help it happen and facilitate it on even some level? How could you be a party to this sin? Aaron replied, let not my Lord's anger grow hot. Don't be upset at me. You know the people. You know the people that they are disposed toward evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us because this man Moses who brought us up from the hand, from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. That was, this is all Aaron telling Moses what happened. They came to me. Give us a God. We don't know what happened to Moses. I said to them, who has gold? So they took the gold off and gave it to me. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I was trying my best. Trying to push them off. Who's got gold? Then they came with gold. Who would have thought? By the way, who has gold is another, according to Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, Lemizahav, to whom is gold? Not who has gold, but to whom is the gold? Lemizahav, to whom is the gold? That's a rhetorical question. Aaron is saying to Moses that he told the people, Lemizahav, who has the gold? It's God's gold. Don't use it for, an, for idolatry. Lemizahav, to whom does the gold belong? Ultimately, it belongs to God Almighty. And they still took it, and they still used it for idolatrous intentions, and out came, and out came the calf. And Moses saw the people that they were exposed. For Aaron had exposed them to be disgraced before their adversaries. Aaron basically called a spade a spade and said, I did not invent this idea. I was not behind it. I did not drive it. This was the people who were pushing, pushing, pushing. And this is what happened. Aaron exposed the the disgrace of the people. So Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Me, Lahashem, Eli. Famous call later on in Jewish history of the Maccabees. Me, me, Lashem Eli, whoever is for God, let him come to me. Me, Lashem, whoever is for God, Eli should come to me. Whoever is true to God, whoever believes in truth, justice, and the truth, justice, and the and the Jewish way, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. There was one tribe where everyone showed up. His own tribe, the tribe of Levi. The other tribes, uh, not exactly. Not exactly for the, for the Lord. At least not, not ready to declare it amidst all that was going on then. But the, the Levi and the Levites, oh, they were all there. They were all in. He said to them, he said to the Levites, so said the Lord, the God of Israel, let every man place his sword upon his thigh and pass back and forth from one gate to the other in the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his friend, every man his kinsmen. This will be the application, the application of capital punishment. Capital punishment, guilty as determined by God, guilty in the eyes of Moses and Aaron and and the other people, guilty by virtue of being part, directly part of the sin of the golden calf, no Rachmanus. No Rachmanus. No they compassion. Killed, they huh? killed each other? The Levites, the tribe of Levi, killed those 
that word directly. Now, there's also going to be a plague soon, we'll see. There's also a plague. But you'll see soon. Look at 28. We're right. The sons of Levi did according to Moses' word. And on that day, some 3,000 men fell from among the people. The Levites, on that day one of discovery of the golden calf sin, the Levites killed, executed, executed with their swords, 3,000 of the ringleaders of the golden calf. Rabbi. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I never could understand Aaron's complicity in this. He was complicit in making this. I'm sorry, but I, I can't I, I'm, it's, it's It's a very good question. I think the Torah tries to drop some clues to help us a little bit, but I, I, I can relate to your question. I, I don't find your question to be, you know, um, too far, you know, um, out there. I think it's a valid question. It's a very valid question. It seems like Aaron, even with all his good intentions, was still involved on some level. He, it was his idea to, to, to collect the gold, his idea to build the altar, his idea. I mean, it's, he's all over the place with this story. Yeah. There's no real way around it. Um, the only thing you can say is what we said is that at the end of the day, he didn't mean to do it. It wasn't his intention. The people that intended, intended. He was trying to push them off. It, it was a series of unfortunate events. Why is he still not held culpable? I, I don't know. I, it's a good question. The commentaries deal with it. And by the way, there are many different um, uh, takes, opinions, understandings amongst the commentaries. I don't have them lined up in my brain to be able to share, but I've encountered many in the past. So... It's a very good question. I don't necessarily have a very good answer, but it's a very good question. Um, okay, back inside. Um, and the Levites, the sons of Levi, the Levite tribe of Levi, they did what Moses said, and they killed 3,000 men. By the way, Levi, remember Levi, the original Levi? Not the tribe Levi, the original guy named Levi. Yeah? Shimon and Levi, those were the two brothers who wiped out Shechem. Remember when Dina got abducted? Their sister got abducted? It was Levi, Shimon and Levi, who wiped out the city. So apparently Levi and his descendants, they knew how to handle a sword. So in this context as well, they're, um, they're, uh, they're executing judgment and justice before our very eyes. And Moses said, Initiate yourselves today for the Lord, for each man with his son and with his brother, so that he may bestow a blessing upon you this day. In other words, get ready for a tremendous blessing that will, that will, um, that will ensue from this act of creating justice. By the way, they had to kill their own brothers, their friends, their kinsmen. What does it mean, their brother? So if there, if there was a brother, then it should be um, from another Levite. Then the Levites didn't sin in the golden calf. So why would they kill them? It means if there was like a, a half-brother, right? Like a step-brother, a half-sibling, whatever. So in those cases, they might have to, God forbid, kill their own flesh and blood on some level. And so we're saying here that, yeah, that was, that was their task in this case. Okay. Let's continue. So now Moses, let's just get the timeline clear. We're up to verse 30, just so placeholder. So let's just get the timeline clear. Torah is given on a, on a Saturday, on Shabbat. Next day, Sunday, Moses goes up. 40 days later, according to the people's count, they're waiting. No Moses. They, pan, they go to Aaron, gold. They come they, with the gold. They make it into golden calf. Aaron builds an altar, come back the next day. He figures by then it'll be over. They, come, they wake up early. They create this golden calf. And that's it. They're off to the races. Moses finds out about it. He's on the mountain. God says to Moses, they create a golden calf. Moses immediately goes to work on behalf of the Jewish people, starts negotiating forgiveness. Sight on see, he has no idea how bad it is. He has no idea who was involved. He has no, he has no clue. All he knows is God promised. God just threatened to kill the Jewish people. He's standing up for them. He, he gets enough of a commitment from God that God is going to reconsider. He goes down. Right? He sees what's going on. He's getting upset. He shatters the tablets. Right? And um, speaks harshly to the people. How could you? Whatever. This, that, the other. And now... He is on his way back up the mountain to continue the conversation with God. 
All right. So Rabbi? came. Yes. Rabbi? So Moses still doesn't know what the outcome is going to be, right? Correct. Correct. So it came to pass. Yes. And so let's see how it unfolds. Came to pass on the next day. This is the day after Moses comes down to to witness the golden calf. Came past. Came to pass on the next day. Give me one second. Yeah, the shadow of the tablets, I just wanted to see it myself, was verse 19. He shattered the tablets. So we already had that. Now, came to pass the next day that Moses said to the people, you've committed a grave sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will, perhaps I will obtain, obtain atonement for your sin. Right? No guarantees yet. God just said he's going to reconsider, but we don't know the outcome of that. So Moses now, so Moses goes down, now he's going back up. Moses returned to the Lord and said, please, this people has committed a grave sin. They have made themselves a, go a god of gold. They really messed up. And now Moses says, if you forgive their sin, great. But if not, erase me now from your book, which you have written. We talked about this last week. Moses says to God, all right, I'm back. It's pretty ugly, but it doesn't matter. Right? They, they did commit a grave sin. I saw it. Gold, god of gold. But here's the deal. Ball's in your court, God. If you forgive them, we're done. Conversation's finished. We're good. But if not, delete. Delete me from this whole narrative. I don't want any part of a Torah that doesn't allow for second chances, even after a really big violation of the, of the relationship. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against, against me, him I will erase from my book. In other words, God says to Moses, Basically, this is the word coming back. Only those directly involved will be punished. No collect collective punishment, no collateral damage. Moses, God had threatened earlier to destroy everyone. And now God is, ha has changed, if you will, or relented and said, only whoever has sinned against me, him I will erase from my book. Only those specifically involved in the planning and creation of the golden calf. And now... God says to Moses, go, lead the, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. In other words, carry on, march on to Israel. Behold, my angel will go before you, but on the day I make accounting of sins against upon them, I will bring their sin to account against them. God, God says a few things. Number one, God says four things. Number one, I'm only going to punish severely those that were directly involved. Number two, Moses, time to go back down and lead the people to the promised land. Number three, I'm not going with. I'm not going to go with you. You got an angel. Right? And number, I think that was four. Number five, or four, four or five, is the golden calf is not going away. The culpability for that is not going away. In a situation where something else negative comes up, be prepared for the golden calf to make a reemergence. You know, like in conversations sometimes... It happens that you bring up old stuff like, oh, and don't you remember you also did this, that, and the other? All right, hopefully we don't do that, but sometimes it happens. And this is what God is saying. It's going to happen. Then the Lord struck the people with a plague, the people who had sinned because they had made the calf that Aaron had made. Oh, Ray, look what it says here. They made the calf. The people made the calf that Aaron had made. It attributes the calf to Aaron that Aaron had made. Okay, I, we, you know, I, um, we're going to stop here. Just, there's so much to cover. We're going to stop here in the middle of the second reading. We're behind a little bit this week, but it's okay, because the next few readings are really short. So we have plenty of time to catch up and get on. I, I just don't want to push it. We don't have time now, number one. Number two, I don't want to push it and then have to go back anyway. So we're up to Exodus chapter 33. What we did today was we began our discussion with a mention of the tablets, God's handiwork. Then we talked about the sin of the golden calf, what precipitates it, a miscount, miscalculation, how they went about it. They approached Aaron. Aaron tried to push them off, not once, but twice. They ended up taking the initiative, getting the goal, throwing it into the fire early in the morning, and then they began sinning. All sin broke loose. All of the sins, all the worst sins, they all come out. All come out in this mob of, I don't know what to call, I don't know what to call it. Just debasement, 
corruption. Worse than corruption. Anyway, impropriety. God says to Moses, I'm just recapping this story. God says to Moses, go down. I'm done with them. Moses says, you can't be done with them. What are the Egyptians going to say? What are the, what are the patriarchs going to say? God says, okay, I'll reconsider. Moses says, all right, you think about it. I'm going down. Moses goes down, sees what's going on, shatters the tablets, berates the people, sends the Levites after. He says, who's with me? The Levites join. He says, all right, now you got to get rid of the leaders, the leadership of this golden calf. 3,000 people down. Moses then tells the people, I'm going back up. God says, here's the deal. I'm going to split the baby. And I split the baby. I'm going to split the, I'm going to, we're going to make some of this, some of that. The people more directly involved, they're going to get punished. Other people, though, will be okay. However, I'm not going to be there to lead them. An angel will be there. This will become part of a dialogue back and forth that will continue the next few days. Where Moses says, no, we really want you back, not just your representative, that sort of thing. All right, we want the CEO with us, not just a customer service rep. No, no angels. And thus the reading ends. So what's the moral of the story? Wow. How do you draw a moral of the story from a golden calf? Okay. Moral of the story number one. Yeah. Don't make a golden calf. No idols. No idols in front of God. You have a direct relationship with God. Don't put up anything in the middle of the way. Right? It's like, oh, I need this. I need that. And the other. I need to, I need to work for this and work for that and pray to this and, and pray to that. It's not the way. Not the Jewish way. Straight to God. Yes, you got to do the stuff on the ground. Obviously, I'm not saying just sit back with, you know, folded arms or open hands and just wait for the blessings to fall. We got to work. However, we got to speak with God. No intermediaries, no golden calves, no images, no nothing. No idols, not even American idols. Don't put an idol in between you and God. Don't corrupt the relationship. You got a direct line. You got the red phone, the red phone. Don't call the operator. You got the direct line. Don't call the operator. You don't need the operator. Does anyone call the operator? Is there an operator? Do we even know that? If you hit zero, what happens? I haven't done it in years. Last time I did it, it might have been on a rotary phone. Everything's animated. You know those scripts. Yeah. But who would even answer? <laughs> who, who would answer? It used to be, you know, Bell. AT&T would answer. But who's... Everyone's got a different... Whatever. All right. We'll have to leave that for one of the unsolved mysteries of uh, modern times. Although we could try it. Anyway, but don't call, don't call the operator. Call God. Go straight to the source. That's the first lesson. Next lesson. Aaron, right? Lessons from Aaron. Don't be vague and don't push off and don't delay. Let's be less passive aggressive and more aggressive when need be. Not always, but when need be. Be direct and aggressive. Now, in defense of Aaron, it didn't get Hur anywhere because he got killed by the mob. Okay, so that's sure. But it seems like from Aaron, we can learn a lesson, maybe be a little bit more direct. Moses. Moses shatters the tablets. And we always wonder why. Oh, he broke the contract. They broke the contract. He's ripping up the contract. What contract? I don't see it. Right? Don't have any other idols. Don't worship them. Right? I'm, your, I'm the Lord your God. I'm going out of order. Right? All these things. The people violated. Man, if I could only find the original document. Oh, well, I see all these pieces on the ground. Moses is still going, even in his anger, so to speak, he's still going to bat for the Jewish people by destroying the evidence. Destroying the evidence. Shredder. Shredder. The shredder. This is the shredder. <laughs> Sensitive documents that, that speak to the impropriety of the people shreds the document. What document? I don't see it. Where did you did you tell us not to serve idols? I, I can't seem to find that document. Hmm. All right. Sorry. I guess. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess we won't do it again. But I would love to see what you know, just to make sure that we were in violation of you know code two and three, one, two, and three. Anyway, the point is that's like first three commandments. The point is. But I mean, the people didn't have them. They didn't know the contract, though, right? Because they didn't receive them. Well, they were verbally right. They heard. They they made, they made a verbal commitment. They said. Whatever. They said. They said preemptively or pre. They said, you know, before, you know, whatever it says, we got. We're going to accept a responsibility for. It. And then they got the verbal communication. They didn't get the written document. It's like a deal, but they didn't sign off on the contract. So you know, whatever. Not excusing them, but whatever. All right. The last thing, last message is, be on the God squad. Join the God squad. Moses says, 
Who is for Hashem? Join me. Let's raise our hands when it comes to that. Not because we want to pick up swords, God forbid, and take out, you know, not, not, a, not in a violent, uh, zealous way, but more of spiritual way. Let's align ourselves with the side of holiness and not, God forbid, the side of corruption and unholiness. Thank you very much for joining me today for DPP. There's so much more to talk about, but what are you going to do? It's well into the afternoon already. Um, tonight, for those joining us, with the virtual online uh, JLI meditation class, 8 p.m. I sent out an email yesterday. You should have received it. If not, let me know. Happy to resend it. Otherwise, we're back on tomorrow, DPP at noon. Oh, very important. Tomorrow, I have a thing at 12.30, which means that I need to be way more punctual. 12 to 12.30, a little old school. 12 to 12.30, to make this happen for tomorrow because I have a hard end at 12.30. Okay, so join me tomorrow. We'll see you then, tonight. And also check the emails because we're throwing out some really cool stuff in the next few days. All right, see y'all. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure.